Psalm 30. This is our third part. Faith looks to the morning's joy. Faith looks to the morning's joy, part three. Let's read from verse one. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Know the Lord will bless again the reading of his own word. Keep your Bibles open for we will be referring to this scripture also. Let's pray. Father, just want to thank you for your faithfulness to us. I want to thank you, Lord, for the sense of your spirit. I want to thank you, Lord, that you are here. Lord, I cannot create an anxious thought in any breast. But by a sovereign move of your spirit, Lord, all would be lost. So, spirit of the sovereign Lord, would you come and as you're here, touch those hearts that need touched. Turn this people around that need you, Lord, in whatever way they need you. In this psalm, we can hear of your healing power. In the psalm, we see your saving grace. In the psalm, we hear of the prophetic anointing. And Father, we ask you tonight that you would endue your people. And give us the unction of the Holy Spirit. And come and breathe life. Breathe health. Breathe hope. And joy into every breast. And into every heart. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, and be glorified in our midst. Come, Lord Jesus, and may your name be exalted in our hearts. Come and speak to those who are weary and wayward. Help those who are sick and need that special touch in their body. You're the same yesterday and today and forever. You are still Savior You are still the healer. You are still the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And you are still our soon coming King. We worship you and we praise you. We exalt you and magnify you. Lord, there is no one like you. So take your word and Lord, let it have free course. Lord, let it arrive into hearts and be buried deep, Lord. That your word would live that your word would be alive in every breast, and that men and women would come to know thee, and others would come to trust thee, and others of your children would be strengthened through thy word. We worship you and love you, and love you because you first loved us. We ask it all, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. David 
As I've been saying to you over the weeks, David, as he writes this psalm or song of dedication, says it in the titles. Some theologians say that this is a a dedication song for his house of cedar, for Israelites did dedicate their houses unto the Lord. And some say this is a prophetic utterance coming forth of the great building of the edifice, which was Solomon's temple, where the holy place would be And it would be enshrined in gold and stone where the Ark of the Covenant was. And God says, I will meet you there. And it's said that David was prophesying of this coming. And others say that it is really a prophecy. Those are types and shadows. But this is a prophecy. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. To set up his kingdom upon earth at his second coming. And all the world will be under his rod of iron. Yet all the redeemed saints will be changed in our bodies. This mortal will put on immortality. And this corruptible that you're listening to, this man who will go to the grave should Christ tarry, this corruptible would put on incorruption. And David, knowing that in his heart he wants to serve the Lord, decides to build a temple made with hands, that the Holy Spirit would come, that God himself would dwell in the holy place upon the mercy seat or the ark, or the lid of that ark of the covenant, that he would come down where the blood would be shed and the priest would then come out and say atonement had been made for Israel. But God has a bigger plan than all of our plans. God has a bigger purpose than all of our purposes. God has a plan and God has a purpose for your life. Bigger than you and I could ever imagine. Bigger than you and I could ever dream up. Bigger than the human mind can ever understand. And God's plan for his people is to walk with him, to fellowship with him, to come to know him in an intimate way that we will walk with Christ. And when that kingdom come, You and I will rule and reign with him for a thousand years and then we will serve him for all eternity. A wonderful plan our Lord has in store for us. So David thinks that this is going to be maybe when kingdom come, when Christ, great David's greater son, will sit on the throne of David, ruling over the house of Jacob and even over all of the universe. He's looking ahead. It's a prophetic word. And David, by faith, speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit, David, by faith, is speaking and looking for the morning's joy. You see, we're told in our psalm this evening, Psalm 30 and verse 5, For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. David knew he had forbidden service. In other words, God had forbidden him to build Solomon's temple as we know it, or the great temple which Solomon later built. In fact, David didn't even see it, yet the promises of God and David, that through him and his seed and the royal house of David, 
through that Messiah would come. And David just took God at his word, believed God's bare word, and he acted upon it. He took all the things that Solomon, his son, would need, and he laid in store for Solomon coming behind him. In other words, he left a legacy for his child. He left a legacy for his children. So David's faith was looking to the morning's joy. The morning's joy is not just a night of darkness, as we all have many times. The morning's joy is that first glimmer, that first glimpse, that first chink of light that comes across the earth from the east shining to the west when the sun, as it were, rises. And that first flash of light is known as the morning star. And that morning star is our Lord Jesus Christ. That when he comes, as the lightning will flash from the east to the west, so the skies will roll back like a scroll. And Christ himself, the morning star and the day star, will be made known and revealed to all mankind. Are you ready for his coming? Are you saved? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you trusting in the full atonement that was paid by our Lord Jesus on Calvary's cross. Last week we looked at how we looked at for his anger endureth for a moment. And God's anger is upon every unconverted soul. For every unconverted man and woman are still in their sin. And every unconverted man and woman are under the wrath of God. Let us look at John 3 and 36 for a brief moment. He that believeth on the Son hath life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. Take note of the word, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. In other words, the wrath of God abides on men and women who are carrying on with their life without Christ who don't know the Lord Jesus and who have never come to saving faith in him. And the wrath of God is upon them. Of course, people do think, well, where is God? I'm getting away with it. But we also looked last week how the word wrath is the word orge. And it suggests the settling of the mind with a view to taking revenge. In other words, God knows what the future holds. And God knows when we will stand before him. And his mind is settled that outside of Christ, that wrath will be meted out to every unconverted sinner. That's a sobering thought, but that's what it means. Gives the idea that God in his love, to give men and women time to get right with him, God in his love and mercy will not let one of his sheep go missing until he comes again. He will take all of his elect and call them into his very fold. Then will the wrath of God come. But God's love is towards you. God's love is upon you. His grace this evening is flowing freely that you may see the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and get yourself right with him and come under the fountain of precious shed blood which Christ shed at Calvary's cross. So God is holding back. I told you last week that the, the idea of this wrath is, it is the idea of, give us the idea of the word for nose. For nose. This is, his anger endures but a moment. 
See the word anger, his anger in the Hebrew, it's word off. What do you mean his, his nose endures for a moment? That's not the idea, but the idea is that, gives the idea of, a, of someone snorting. Gives the idea of the forehead. When a forehead is wrinkled and pointed toward a person or a thing in anger, gives the idea that God is angry and holds back until the cup is filled. I trust this evening that there is no one here who will hold back from claiming Christ as their own. Maybe your cup is filled after tonight and your cup will overflow with the sin and God will pour out his wrath. Notice this, the word here, for his anger endures but for a moment. It gives the idea that God is... But God is love. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But love is not all that God is. God is a God of justice and God is a God of vengeance. And God will not judge those who are under the blood, but God will judge those who are not under the blood. Here we have the word here for for anger is nose, nostril, forehead. In other words, David says as a believer, God got angry at him at times, but God loved him that much. His love overcame his anger. His anger endureth but for a moment. David is worshiping here. David is praising. He says, Lord, thank you that even though your anger, your wrath was toward me, because I am your child, he says, you give me favor which brought life to my soul. Here's something for you to take note. The word favor, and his favor is life, is the word ratsun. And it means to have delight, pleasure, goodwill, acceptance. It comes from a root word, to be pleased. In other words, in God's pleasure, you will find life. And when God is well pleased with a person or with a thing, then God will pour out his favor. In other words, whenever man was coming, especially in the days of Israel, they came to the Lord with a blood sacrifice. It appeased God. Notice the word, it appeased God. God was appeased and his wrath was held back, as it were, because of the blood of a lamb or a goat. But the idea here is not that. It's the idea is that God, his favor in his pleasure is to do you good, that you in his sight would be pleasing. And God is well pleased with a certain company of people. Who are those people? Let me just look at it for a moment. For example, works, alms, deeds, church going, religion, denomination, it's all appeasement to God and all of that appeasement, thinking that we are doing good. How many times I go to church, God, aren't you, aren't you a lucky chap to have me? That appeasement is really pagan practice. Appeasing God through works and alms and deeds and and, and giving thanks for things. All those things are just a, a way of, of pagan practice. Instead, God wants to be well pleased. How can a man be well pleased in God's sight? How can you and I please God that he is well pleased and pours out more favor upon us? The only way we can do this is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Listen to what the Lord said when he, John the Baptist was baptizing our Lord in the River Jordan. He said, this, the one you are baptizing, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, there's only one way for a man and a woman to be well pleasing in the sight of God. And it's not what we give and it's not what we do and it's not what we hand over. And it's not our churchianity and our religiosity. It's not how many songs we sing and it's not how many hymns we know. It's not even how many times we read the Bible or Christian books. It's not anything that we can give or do or add. It's being in Christ and in Christ alone. Then when God sees the man and woman who are in Christ, he is well pleased with them. Do you know even in my failures and in my faults, and all the things and the times that I feel my Savior, the Father looks at me, And he's still well pleased. And if you're in Christ tonight, he's well pleased. You know why? Because Christ, the Lord Jesus, he paid the debt. He paid for your sin. He carried your sin from as far as the east is from the west so far. Hath he removed our transgressions from us? And we are well pleasing in the sight of God. You know what it's called also? It's a big word called propitiation. Propitiation. Let me just give you a little little rundown on this word. You see, propitiation is more than appeasement. Appeasement is really pagan. And God accepted appeasement Because what he said, slay the lamb, go under the blood. They acted on faith and the word of God. And God took their faith for righteousness, poured out not out his wrath upon them. And so Israel were under the blood, they were safe. But they weren't washed from their sin. It was a type and a foreshadowing of the coming of the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who would cleanse us from all our sin. So propitiation really means mercy. The mercy seat on that Ark of the Covenant, which David wanted to build, that lid, as it were, with the angels facing each other, it was called the propitiation or the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And the blood applied to the mercy seat. The blood of the Lamb was applied and the glory of God came down. There was the, there was the Ark, there was the mercy seat, there were the cherubim shielding for the glory. Down comes the glory of God and here stands the sinner, the priest. And the only thing that, 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 that kept the priest from being killed from the power of God was the blood of the Lamb. That's it, just the blood. Simple, but it's God's way. Propitiation is like this. It comes in two parts, if you want, or two acted parts. Propitiation involves appeasing the wrath of an offended person. First of all, propitiation is the appeasing of the wrath of the offended person. So if God is offended at our sin, God is offended at our depraved nature, God is so offended at us, That he is angry and his wrath is building up. And God, his wrath is just being held back because of his great love. Notice this. Propitiation 
His uh, act of involves appeasing the wrath of an offended person. And secondly, it is being reconciled back to him. That is a propitiation. It's not just appeasing God and going on your way. It's not just coming to church with an offering. It's not just coming and bringing a sacrificial animal. It's not about charities and good works and denominations and all these sort of thanksgivings and prayer cards. And It's nothing to do with that. That is all just trying to appease God. But you must be in Christ to be well-pleasing to God. Appeasement and satisfaction is propitiation. In other words... You come to Christ, you're well-pleasing. God is appeased because he's well-pleased in Christ. And then you are reconciled back to him. In other words, you walk with him, you talk with him, you live for him, you love him, and he loves you. And in his favor, you find his anger endures for a moment. As As soon as a man or a woman get on their knees, as it were, or call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, that man and that woman, they become well-pleasing in the eyes of the Savior and well-pleasing in the eyes of Almighty God. And from that moment, the wrath, that nostril-snorting wrath of God, no longer is upon the man and woman. His anger endures but a moment. It gives the idea in his favor, his life. When you're well pleasing to him in Christ, you'll find life, eternal life, everlasting life, abundant life, life and the Holy Ghost. That is what David is prophetically looking to when he says, oh, we will sing and we will dedicate for when Christ returns All of those who are well pleasing by being washed in the blood of the Lamb. We will be caught up in a moment in the twilight of an eye when Christ returns. We will be changed with him. And we will return to rule and reign with him. For we are well pleasing in the sight of our Father. And you will be a victor and an overcomer through the blood of the Lamb. And through the word of your testimony. For you love not your life unto death. That's what we're talking about tonight. That's the morning's joy that is coming. And many go to the grave thinking, well, we're forgotten about. That's why the Bible tells us of the day of the great resurrection. That's why the Bible tells us of the day that's like a seed that is planted in the ground and a flower comes out of the ground and blooms into a great tree or flower. That's the idea of the resurrection that when Christ returns, Every believer in Christ that died, their bodies will be raised incorruptible. It's called the hope of glory. Are you in Christ? Are you well pleasing in the sight of God tonight? Here's something for you. This propitiation, this mercy... This propitiation, God himself has provided the only means through which his wrath can be appeased and sinful man to be reconciled to him and that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the New Testament, the act of propitiation always refers to the work of God. Let me say it again to you. In the New Testament, the work of propitiation always always refers 
to the work of God. In other words, it's God's dealing with you. It's God's calling off you. It's God working in you. It's God bringing you into the fold. It's all of him. Our full, our total, and our whole salvation is nothing in ourselves or our own merits. It is all in him. It's all in him. You see, the wrath of God that you were under brother and you were under sister and I was under the wrath of God was poured out fully totally and completely when Christ hung on the cross of Calvary and bled and died God poured out his wrath upon his son and he cries my God my God why hast thou forsaken me the word forsaken is the word katalipo why have you left me in dire straits? That's what it means. Why have you left me with so much anger around me? Why have you left me, Lord, in such a sorrowful state? Why have you left me nailed hand and foot to the cross, Father? I have never known separation from my Father. My God, my God, why? You know why? For my sin and for yours. That's why. That's why. For Christ had not have died, you and I would be lost. Separated from God forever. There would be no propitiation of our sins. We would never be reconciled. God would never be satisfied. We would never be well pleasing in his sight. Because Christ would not have died. Now when you and I think that we can be well pleasing in the sight of God by who we are or what we can do or what we can achieve or what we can attain to, then you and I are falling from the grace of God. We're saved by sovereign grace. We're saved by the sovereign grace of God. See how important the cross is. And I told, if you weren't here this morning, I told the people how the cross of Christ. That work which he accomplished on Calvary's tree. The cross of Christ, it dominates. The idea is it dominates. Dominates the mind of the Father. Listen, can I ask you a question? If you were to see your child innocent and someone abusing them badly... And I'm doing it for ones that didn't want to know him. But through great love they turned away. Even that love and what he'd done. He hung and he bled and he died. And he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If it was your son and someone came to you after it, looking to get into your house or your kingdom, would you let them in? If they refused him? I think not. The cross of Christ dominates the work of Christ dominates. The blood of Jesus dominates the very heart, will, and mind of God. For he is the heart, the will, and the mind of God. It dominates the heart of God. And so every man and woman must come by the way of the cross. His son hung and bled and died on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you left me, Father, with so much anger around me? That's the idea of it. Why have you left me in such a bad disposition, Father? Why have you left me, Father, in such a sorrowful state? 
It was all poured out in him. That nostril wrath. <sighs> That's the way it goes. Poured out on him, on his own son, that you and I would be saved. That you and I would be forgiven. That you and I would be cleansed. That you and I would be well-pleasing in his sight. That you and I would be reconciled back to him. That you and I would be joined together, one with the other, our Father and ourselves. Oh, the, the Lord Jesus takes the hand of God the Father. And he takes the hand of the sinner. And he is our bridge builder, our in-between and our mediator. The Lord Jesus Christ and another. You see... Here we have the word wrath and anger God is holding back. He's holding back because he loves you. If you're a child of God, you don't need to worry about that. You need not be concerned about that because he loves you. And his wrath was poured out on his son, the Lord Jesus. And you will never stand in the wrath of God because of Christ. Because when he looks at you, he says, they're well-pleasing in my sight. I'm pleased with them. Not because you're so great or I'm so great. Because Jesus is so great. Father will look at you one day. He'll say, Roy, you're in my son, you're well-pleasing. Shirley, Angela, right the whole way around. I go up and down here half the night calling you by your name and your same trusting in Christ. And the Father says, I'm well pleased with you for you trusted my son and followed him. I'm going to round this up and I'll do the last part next week. The word here for favor is the word ratsun. To be well pleased or when he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The word beloved son is the agapitus weus. In other words, the fully mature one. The one who was fully driven by the spirit. God himself. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And as he said, God himself provided the only means through which his wrath can be appeased and sinful man can be reconciled to him. And in the New Testament, the act of appreciation always refers to the work of God and not the sacrifices or gifts offered by men. Here's something I want you to take note of. Man is incapable of satisfying God's justice. Now let me say it again. Man is incapable of satisfying God's justice. Except, except by spending eternity in hell. Think about it. Think about that. You and I are incapable of satisfying God's justice and being well-pleasing in his sight. And the only way justice can be meted out to the Christ rejecter is by spending eternity in hell. The idea for Orge, that settled mind with vengeance, the idea of it is it's not a quick, um, explosive anger 
like God would take someone with a stroke. Like God sent a plague into Egypt. That was called, that's the thumos. That's when Annas and Sapphira came and lied to the Holy Ghost. And Peter uh, uh, said, why lie ye to the Holy Ghost? And they dropped down dead. That was the thumos of God. And many of us, many men and women have come under the thumos of God. That quick taking with a stroke. The Lord taking the very life force, the spirit and the breath of your nostrils. That is the thumos, the anger of God. But here the word orge gives the idea that God is waiting and he's waiting and he is patient and he's speaking to you. He said, get right with me. My wrath is going to come. His wrath will be revealed from heaven. We looked at it last week. His wrath will reveal from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. will be made known. Men will cry onto the the rocks and to the mountains fall on us and hide us from the face of him, his face, who sits upon the throne. The word orge gives the idea of a long, patient wait, holding back. But when the wrath is poured out, it lasts for a long period of time. And how long is that period of time? It's called Eternal damnation, everlasting punishment. That's what it's called. God does not want to punish anyone. He wants all men to be saved. He wants you to come to saving faith in his son. He loves you tonight. I trust your cup is not full as you leave this place. Let me finish with this. Thank you for your attention. It's tremendous. As per usual, I've went off my notes. I'll have to finish them all next week. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. Maybe you'd like to turn with me if you have your Bible with you. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. Notice what it says. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I have something to tell you in case you forgot, believer. need to remind myself all the time of it also. There was nothing, nothing, there was absolutely nothing in you or in me that wanted him. Nothing. Or dead in your trespasses and in your sins. There is nothing in the heart of man. Man searches with an empty heart the eternal welfare of his being by worshipping grass and trees and stones and rocks and the sun, the moon and the stars and planet earth and our mother earth. And man is always searching. Man is always looking, trying to find out the works and the ways of God. But outside of that, there is nothing in a man and a woman that can want the true living God. You know why? Because you were dead. It took a sovereign move of the grace of God. Sovereign move of the Holy Ghost. He allowed you to see your need of Christ. He allowed you to see his dying love. 
That is the dying of Christ loving you. And he allowed you to see his undying love. That is the love of Christ, him still loving you. There's nothing in you, nothing in me that wanted him. You know the only thing in me this this night that wants to be in this meeting? Do you know the only thing in me this night that wants to be around his word and wants to worship as a group get up the leaders? Do you know the, the only thing that's in me and that if we all tell the truth that's in you that wants to seek after his face? Do you know the only thing that's in a man and woman to cause us to go into the place of prayer that want to be faithful before him? The only thing that's in us is the Holy Ghost. The only thing that's in you, brother, is the Holy Spirit of God and you sister because without the Holy Spirit you and I we are just like tinkling cymbals and sounding brass and we're full of our own ways full of our own desires here in his love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins in other words he sent his son To manifest, to display his great love, to bring you and I under the blood that we would be well pleasing in the sight of the Father. And that you and I would not only be an appeasement to God, but that in Christ we would be well pleased and reconciled unto him, serving the Lord. And we would be with Christ, which is far better, should death wrap our door or Christ return. They're all very quiet, don't they? They're all very quiet. Sometimes things hit home, don't they? Sometimes an arrow shoots across and you say, Lord, I didn't want to know you. My back was toward you. I was lost and in my sin. I was dead toward you. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord, for your blood. Thank you that you died for a guilty, vile, useless, hell-deserving sinner. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I know you'll go out of here tonight then, walking and leaping and praising God for his grace, his goodness, his compassion, and his kindness in your life. I'm getting higher up this pulpit every week. He's a wonderful Savior. He's a wonderful Lord. You see, David looked to the morning's joy and although David never saw the temple nor you and I have seen the coming of Christ yet, we look to the morning's joy when Christ will break the sky. The day star will appear. Your faith says, you know, Lord, I'm trusting in you for I wanted... I did not want to know you, but Lord, you have quickened me to know the things of God. And my faith says to keep my eyes upon Jesus, for faith looks to the morning's joy. Christ is coming, and Christ is yours. So brother, sister, let's keep the faith and move on in God. If you're not saved, the Holy Spirit of God may quicken you tonight. Move upon your heart. Glorify himself. Glorify himself. Brother, sister, I say this in the close. Thank you for your attention. Grow to love him if you don't know already to love him. Love him. Love him. Love the Lord with all your heart.
Put him first in everything. Put him first in your life. Love him. Love him. Love Jesus with all you have. He's a wonderful saviour. He's done so much for us. He is our morning's joy. Now next week, in the Lord's will, we will look how Israel, we were to do it this week, how Israel trusted in the blood and through a night of wailing and weeping in Egypt, joy came in the morning when not one of their firstborn was touched. We'll look at how the Egyptians were coming behind them. They walked through dry land, through that divided Red Sea. And we'll look at how when they got out the other side, it says, when the morning appeared, isn't that lovely? When the morning appeared, we're told that Moses lifts up his hands and the waters come over the Egyptians and wash away the enemy. We're told when they were hungry, it was in the morning the bread came. In the morning, you see, faith looks to the morning's joy. I don't want to just to spoil it on you for next week. Don't want to have to write another one either now. I've already got this. So we'll say no more. God bless you. I love him with all my heart. I'm not ashamed of that. I tell it on Sky TV and CNN and BBC and ITV and Channel 4 or whoever else. Guy, the praise tonight. There was something special came when the spirit moved. There was just a real settling and I really sensed the Lord. That's why I went off my notes tonight. I thought I'll just go off and I'll see how we get on.